And then having done silencing stuff, everything will be silent, or the stuff will be anyway. So I am going to put that there, that there, that there, that there, me there. It's a good place to be. And I'm about, uh, I'm about ready, I think. Yeah? Yeah. We're recording everything. I am, I am recordy, yes. I am in a recordy frame of mind. But I'm taking a great <laughs> on the Hudson River line. You see, I sing along, but I don't know the words. I'm in a recordy <laughs> frame of mind. Oh, yeah. That, anyway. Life was so easy living day by day. Out of touch with the rhythm and blues. sung that one i've probably got the lyrics wrong i have no idea what the lyrics are as mentioned so new I, york I, state of mind I, I know i know the song i know the song yeah. that was kind of the song that i was playing on in the first place but yeah. i don't know what the words are i so, probably don't either i used to sing that it was one of those it's a long time ago and half the half forgotten lyrics are floating up in my brain and the other half have gone yeah it was like one of those situations where you say something that is you think is going to make you sound really intellectual and clever yeah and you the, the other person couldn't possibly you know um <laughs> and, I and, got then it, it. <laughs> and then it turns out do you, do you remember them that that couple that young not couple that were a couple of uh young uh people from that university that came out i say young people i mean i'm you know they were young in comparison to me i mean they were adults and they were at a university fairly near us and they came out one evening to do a bit of a turn they had like a little musical duo that they that they had going and they came out for one of our yule celebrations once yeah and i thought they were musicians so I went up and started talking to them, thinking, oh, these are two musicians, and I'm, I'm always happy to... You know, I'm always interested in what people do, you know? Yeah. And so I was trying to... Because I don't know anything diddly about music. And I said, oh, how long have you been doing the music? And she said, oh, well, it's been, you know, it's been a couple of years, and, you know, we're really enjoying it. And, oh, great, great, great. And I said to her, is that what you're studying then? She says, no, I'm a particle physicist. <laughs> <laughs> Only you can't get, you can't get busking points for oh, that. Right. <laughs> okay. 
that came, kind of came out of left field. They yeah, intelligent guard. The left, the left Higgs field. Yeah, <laughs> intelligent guard. No, I, mean, I didn't I see did, that one coming. I, I mean, the intelligence was clear, but I, I just thought, you know, I'd, I'd been thinking music, and she, she was, oh no, I'm a particle physicist, and I'm like, holy, I'm off. I'm right, off wait, down at Kern now wait, with what? the accelerator and everything, and I don't know what my brain's doing. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, we're here. We are. Um, we were going to record a thing. Let's do that. And you wanted to talk about a thing for the recording of the thing. I did, yes. Let's introduce ourselves first, just in case... We've got some new lovely listeners or some latecomers around the virtual campfire. We'd better say hello, lovely listeners. It's always a possibility. It is. And then Hi. again, we, we Come might... in, warm your knees, settle in, grab a coffee, grab a drink of choice. There's a biscuit tin around here somewhere. Don't mind Earl. He's just doing his owl thing. Grab a log. If you hear the hootie, in. the hootie hootie going on. It's yeah. fine. He's just he's just he's he's in charge of logistics. Yeah. So he's Air organizing control. stuff. Basically, yeah. Yeah. So that was a long silence, wasn't it? Um It's we... not like we ever put silences <laughs> in these things. We're usually just chattering over each other and through each other and off on tangents. We don't ever have silence in these episodes. They're just kind of the words just blur. I think it must have been like 20 past or something because that apparently happens at 20 past. Yeah, only in X-Files. I think it's an American thing. Is it an Isn't American it? thing? I think it's an American superstition that says that a conversation will always lull at 20 past the hour. Because didn't wasn't Lincoln shot at 20 past or something? Or what? Not Not Washington. I think it was Lincoln. Don't know. And I think and, and I think they say then there's this thing that if ever there's a there's a conversation going on in a room and it all suddenly falls quiet, it's usually twenty past. I mean it's it's basically it's a it's a um, cognitive bias thing because you'll notice it happen when it you, when when it happens and you look at the clock and it's twenty past you go ooh there's that spooky it's thing where that always happens at twenty past cognitive bias yeah but okay. if it happens and it's not twenty past like now it's what it's five to the hour. The mind is flat. The mind is flat. You don't really notice it, except you do this time because I've mentioned it. So, yeah. you know. What okay. do you want to talk about? Well, we've said hello, lovely listeners. Yeah. And they've probably settled in now because we've just given them a couple of minutes just to settle in and get, get comfy, find a cup of coffee. Marshmallows. And get a marshmallow on a stick. So we better introduce ourselves. I'm Suzanne Martin. I'm a heathen with a head mostly full of knowledge. Some of it's useful. And then it's me, isn't it? Um, yeah, and then it's you. I'm I'm Kate. I'm a I'm I'm a um, I'm a sort of a I don't know, druidy witchy thing. Coffee powered druid is generally the thing, isn't it? Yeah. And 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 indeed, that is true. Yeah. Um, I have a head full of mostly red dwarf scripts, if I'm honest. And, and Blackadder. And, and, and Blackadder. And obscure information that nobody could ever possibly want to know about Star Trek. Yeah, that's pretty good. So that's kind of me. Really. It's a good vibe to have. Yeah, well, you know. you know. So, welcome around the virtual campfire for episode <clears throat> 98. 98? 98. What are we doing? I don't know, but it's probably coffee powered. <laughs> 
98 coffee-powered episodes. As long as it's legal, I don't care. Uh, well, that covers a lot of ground. <laughs> so I thought we'd have a chat. Episode 98. I want to take a dip back into ethics of modern heathenry. Ethics. Always good. And, yeah, ethics. Meaty topic. It is a bit of a... a bit of a big meaty topic and i wanted to have a chat about something that's been on my mind a little bit recently okay uh, ethics is generally the study of how best to treat people all right and ethics is not necessarily a good versus bad clear indicative decision it's generally the word ethics indicates a bad versus bad decision <laughs> and it's trying to figure out which bit of it is the least bad? Least bad, yep, yep. Given the circumstances and whoever's making the decision, which decision is going to cause the least amount of damage, the least amount of harm? Which decision, you know, ha can something good come out of something bad? I mean, as we're recording this, it's a, it's, it's goodly into the evening. Are we, a, are we an evening enough show for me to mention the trolley problem? Because that's, um, that's kind of one of the the classic utilitarian well yeah ethics. it's one of it's one of the classic sort of ethical conundrums mm. is that you're basically it, it postulates a you're standing at the points on a railway line mm. and you have a lever that you can pull to activate yes. the points yeah and if you don't pull the lever the train will trundle on down the runaway train will trundle on down track a and run over some poor sap who's for some reason is on the line mm -hmm. right no i think it's they'll run in it'll five. run into like it'll five into people crowd. or yeah. crowd of people <laughs> who are standing on the line but you can pull the lever to move the train onto track b in which case the five people will be saved but there's one person on the line on track b mm. so it's like if you pull the lever one person Five people dies, live, but one person dies. Actively dies by your choice. Yeah, but... If you choose to do nothing, five people die. By your choice, because you're, you're still you're making still the decision the to do nothing. Yeah, you, you've got no action accompanying it, but you're making that choice yep. of don't do it. Ethics, you see, so neither is a great outcome. I mean, you Not know... Hugely, if, no. If you could get, like, I don't know, Superman or Thor or somebody to come along. Not, I mean, Marvel Thor, not yeah. your Thor. Just pick the wee train up. Pick the wee train up, hit it with a hammer, do whatever it is you have to do, but stop, you know, that would be great, but we don't have a, a, a sort of superhero kind of world, so. No. So you have to then decide which is the least worst outcome. Mm. Yeah. And it's the same. There's one of the, is it the Heath? No, is it the Heath Ledger Joker Batman films where he puts a bomb on each ferry? Yeah, it's Dark Knight. Dark Knight. And he says, if you press the button on your ferry, the other ferry will explode, but your people will be saved. Yeah. If you choose not to press your button, they might choose to press their button and you will explode. Yeah. This but is... They will be saved. It's still, it's an ethical choice and it contains a measure of uncertainty in that case because you don't have any communication with that other boat that specifically is an example of what's called the prisoner's dilemma and it's a scenario in game theory that seeks to describe uh, whether or not people who are as you say incommunicado they can't talk to each other mm. whether people will act in the 
general best interest at a small cost to themselves or whether they will always tend to act in their own interest at a great cost to the whole. Yeah, or to somebody else. But yeah, yeah it's, it's still an ethical choice. So yeah. I wanted to talk today around the virtual campfire. Get your thinky brains on, lovely people. We are going to take a dive into ethics in modern heathenry. You know that thing where you go into a meeting yeah. and they say, now you might want to take notes and you've forgotten a pen? Oh, yeah. And you have to go round and ask, has anybody got a pen I can borrow? Yeah. Well, this is where I am now. <laughs> you you get all your thinky brains running. I'm going to wander around the campfire and see if anybody's got a thinky brain I can borrow. <laughs> You'll be fine. It's, it's fine. <laughs> so, ethics in modern heathenry. There are ethical situations and dilemmas, especially as modern inclusive heathens. Mm. But what I want to look at today is the ethical dilemma of content versus creator. Okay. And it's, it's a dilemma that you see uh, quite often in other areas. Mm. So one of the examples, you might think, well, you know, if I've got kid creator and captain content going into the boxing ring against each other versus, then what on earth is this mad woman around the virtual campfire talking about? <laughs> well, from an inclusive standpoint, if you look at the author J.K. Rowling... Yeah. Now, she oh, produced yes. some amazing works of initially children's fiction. Middle grade was the first book. She did. And then as her readership got older, they increasingly got into young adult. Yeah. Up to the last book in the series being probably what they call new adult. So The they, last book in the series being dark as all, but I mean, really, really dark. Yes, really, <laughs> really, really dark. So she started off with a very small, simple story for middle grade readers. And as her readership aged, she went through. Now, those books were based on inclusivity and the message that you could be diverse and be celebrated and included and choose your family almost, choose the closest people to you. And they resonated with a lot of LGBT people, with a lot of trans people, because they could see people who were visibly different being accepted and being held in high regard, being valued inside those stories. Yeah. Literally the entire premise of Harry Potter as a character is he shows that you can be who you are. Yes. You know, he starts out living literally in a closet. And he comes out. And he comes out. (laughs) And he is, you know, he he gets to meet other people who support him, who care for him, uh, something he's never had before. And he begins to build up his confidence and he spreads his wings and he becomes this, you know, this, this, he absolutely, you know, he reaches his potential and all this kind of thing. So you can understand why that, that resonates with so many people. So the work is inclusive, Mm -hmm. it's celebratory, it loves diversity. The author in recent years has been increasingly Mm anti-transgender, very exclusive in her definitions of gender and understanding that she's not supportive of the LGBT community. So how do you ethically separate... She's not supportive of the T. The trans community. She, she, I stand she asserts yeah. <clears throat> supportiveness of the LGB. But not the T part. But not the T. So there you've got content versus creator. Mm. Can you still enjoy those works knowing what stance the creator of them now takes? 
yeah, I found it a little bit difficult. I found it's put me off her yeah. her work a little bit because yeah. So hold that thought of an ethical decision about work from a creator that is now discovered to not share the ideology, an inclusive ideology. Mm. As modern heathens, where we might have a whole thing for books, I know I do, I like <laughs> my books, we might have a whole thing for getting new shinies for our altarpiece, getting new pieces of ritual equipment, loving those kind of little bits of bling and shine that we like putting on to put ourselves into that ritual headspace. Yep. We might find statuary or artworks that we want to put on the walls of our home or above our altar space, or we might find statuary that we want to put on altars or take out to ritual with us. We might find sets of runes that we really love and connect to. Mm -hmm. We might find prayer that really resonates with us and at a particular point in our lives produces profound experience. Yeah. But as inclusive heathens, we're always on the watch out for creators that don't share that point of view and as an inclusive heathen I know that there are certain organizations that are more right-wing than I like mm -hmm. I know that there are certain content creators be they artists be they prayer writers be they authors that I know take an exclusionary stance mm. so I tend to try and not purchase and not give those people my business yeah you don't want to you don't want to support people if you think they're going to take the <clears throat> i mean the money or the 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 you know you're going to be assisting them to put out a message that is contrary to yeah what you believe in but this in a way that's quite a clear choice if i know that that business has a right wing is a, a, a sole trading business and has a right wing lead mm. I won't patronise them, I won't give them money, I won't support their business, I won't give them a review. And that's quite a simple choice, it's quite clean, it's quite ethical, but what happens when you have a piece and it's later that you find out that it's come from an exclusionary stance? Yeah. Can you separate the creator, the, the political stance of the creator, from the material they have produced. Mm. It's easier in the form of things like books. Yeah. But if they're producing statuary or they're producing jewellery or clothing. Yeah. Or they're producing oath rings. Yeah. They're producing sacrifice bowls. They're producing rune sets. Mm. And then you find out they're an issue. What do you do with that item? Do you look at it and never use it again do you use it under the provision that you can ethically separate the content from the creator mm. or do you choose never to use it again do you choose to use it because you've built up a resonance with that item and it started to become part of your ritual practice yeah how do you then ethically decide and people who create content who create blogs who create statuary who create artwork who create necklaces beads jewelry mm. whatever we as modern heathens find oh shiny new yoink <laughs> want 
And we look at something, we look at a piece of artwork, and it is such, even seeing it on a screen, it's such a profound impact that we immediately go and find the buy button. Yeah. Because it's just hit us right between the eyes, and we've just sat there looking at it going, wow, mm. I, I need a copy of that. Can you then, ethically, can you use that piece of artwork knowing where it's come from? And content creators are also on their own human journey. So if they begin and start out inclusive, mm. but then take a, and you patronize them, you advertise them, and then they start taking an increasingly exclusionary stance. How do you, as a, a modern inclusive heathen, then start ethically dealing with that? You see, I mean, this is a this is an, an enormously broad and co and complex issue. It is hugely nuanced, and it's very very open to your individual interpretation of what's because I mean, when we're talking about items for use in faith practice, mm. um, whether it's whether it's a specific item for ritual or whether it's um, uh, you know whether it's a piece of jewelry, um, but has meaning within that faith context, or whether it is um, something like a, a piece of writing, you know, mm. um, like a, a, a prayer, a, a prayer. yeah, something, something yeah. along those lines. A reading that you want to use in ritual, a translation of yeah. others or sagas. I mean, you have the question of where is the, to, to use a slightly new agey sort of, sort of term, but you know, it's, it's the, it's the, the best one I can think of. Where is the energy in that item or in that piece of work? Mm. Um, how much of themselves has the creator put into that? And for a lot of people, it sort of comes down to the the actual mundane part of it, the exchange of money. Mm. I mean, like if we just flick back to J.K. Rowling for a minute. I mean, it's like I'm 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 aware that you own the books. Mm. We yeah between us the own films, own all the yeah, films. Yeah. It has been a big, a relatively big thing for us. I mean, I, I you know, I said earlier, I, I sort of sat down and watched through all those films with you, and it's, you know, they they became quite a, a significant, um, a significant association for me. Mm. So I, I, I sort of tend to want to try to, to make that separation. And there are ways and means you can do it. It's like, well, if I went out now and bought the Harry Potter books. I would be giving money to somebody who, trying not to be too dramatic, but somebody who wants me and people like me not to exist. Hmm. I'm not saying she's she's going to like try and wipe us out or anything, but I'm saying you know she would be she would be quite happy if trans people were not a thing. Hmm. And if I was to go out and buy her books now, I would be supporting somebody that I know has that mindset. I don't know that she had that mindset when she sat down to write the Philosopher's Stone. Hmm. You bought the Philosopher's Stone long before she started making anti-trans comments on Twitter. Mm. We bought the... I think you bought the films, actually, didn't you? You brought them. Yeah, there's a set of films here. Long before she started making those comments on Twitter. Mm. So who is the creator in this case? Is it the J.K. Rowling of 2021 who is making anti-trans comments on Twitter and, 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 and really sort of... Um, uh, really sort of... Um, doubling down on the whole thing or is it the jk rowling from 1990 whenever it was when she first started writing the philosopher's stone is she the same person 
Oh, ship of Theseus with people. Well, yeah. Now this is getting deep. I mean, I have the same problem with... I, I've always loved uh, the Father Ted series. Mm. I have the same problem with that because one of the two creators of that is one of... has, has for, for, for a long time been one of the, the leading, loudest transphobes on Twitter. Mm. So it's... We'll probably all know as inclusive heathens that there are certain authors that we avoid. Yeah. As a matter of course, if a book has their name on it and it's to do with heathenry, we go, yeah, no. No, thank you. But when we were starting to learn, we would get our hands on any book we could get our hands on and maybe we didn't know. Mm. Then, what we do now, I've certainly got a little shelf of shame yeah. <laughs> of books that I will, I have in my possession, but I won't, I don't want to sell them on to somebody else because that's just spreading that message. Yeah. I don't want to destroy them because it's a book. Yeah. So I keep them. Mm. And they just sit on my shelf and gather dust. Yeah. Um, and it's... There's then a whole argument of if you have an item, a prayer, a, a reading that you want to use, a statuary, jewellery, a Thor's hammer that you want to wear, and it's from somebody that you find out is exclusionary... Mm. Can you then make an ethical argument for reclaiming that material? It is an argument that people make, yeah. And if we're then seen wearing or using material that is very distinctive to a certain creator, what does that do in a community of inclusive heathens if that piece is then used? Hmm. For example, I mean... I. I'm thinking particularly of not so much creators, but people who make use of existing symbols. I mean, we've talked before about the the use of heathen symbols and, and to, you know, mm. some extent Roman pagan symbols by the far right. By, it's an extreme example, yes. Yeah, by white supremacists and so forth. And there is an argument to say, well, those symbols predate that movement. Those symbols predate that kind of political viewpoint. They were hijacked by yeah. those those sort of interests. So, to them, there is a, there's a case to be made that they could be reclaimed. Oof. But if we're talking... I mean, whether or not yeah. you can, I mean, some you know, people... Whether or not I even want to try with some of the symbols that are out there, I'm like, no. Whether you want to try, I mean, you know, I'm thinking Ophala is probably the ones that's less well-recognised by the public, even as a symbol of white supremacy, even as a symbol of mm. the far right. But among heathens and, and those of us who, who hang around with heathens, obviously that's, that's very well known. That association is, is known and regretted. But arguably that one might stand more chance of being reclaimed if there is enough will and enough volume in doing it. But something like, to, to, to touch on a different culture entirely, something like the swastika mm. in the inverted commas Western world, um, in Europe, in America, in, in sort of, you know, um, that sphere, if you like, arguably the swastika is beyond reclamation mm. because it has become so associated with the Nazi regime. It, it's difficult, as you say, how do you... The only way we could reclaim it or, or the, the, the relevant culture could start reclaiming it is to, is to be... I mean, they do use it. Mm. But you know their representatives or their 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 people who come 
and live in the, again, inverted commas, in the Western world, they, if, if they wanted to use it, they would have to deal with the fact that most of the people around them will only associate it with the far right, with Ooh. the Nazis, with death and destruction and evil. If we're thinking along the lines of, well, I want to use this piece of artwork, I want to use this prayer in ritual, I want to reclaim those words and give them resonance, give them meaning in an inclusive context. Mm. What we do as individual heathens affects our communities. Yeah. It affects the people we hold ties with. Yep. If we repost something on social media, it affects all the people that read that. Yeah. So for those people who are far right or they're from that background and they put out prayer books or and then it's not necessarily the prayer itself that has any kind of exclusionary resonance in no. it. the words may be in, entirely inclusive or they may be ones that inclusive heathens can project their inclusivity onto yeah so where do you draw the line between content and creator where is your ethical decision being that it's a bad versus bad decision? Mm. Whichever way you do it, how do you, where do you personally draw the line? And it is a very personal individual choice. And there are a lot of variables in terms of, as I say, you know, not wanting to focus entirely on the money, but in terms of the support you are giving to back to the person. When you, when, when we buy something from a creator, it's a two-way relationship. They are supporting us in our, you know, um, whatever it might be, and be it a faith context or be it a, a literary literary experience yeah, and, or research or research or whatever. Yeah. We're also supporting them because we're giving them money in exchange. Obviously, that's how it works. But if you're talking about something that somebody has created and donated to the world for free, that's a different issue, because by taking it and using it, you're not feeding back to them you might be publicizing them to some extent if you choose to say this is from such a person which really you should yeah i mean with things like online prayers online blogs online readings that mm. you might want to use in your own ritual in your own blots and you read a piece and it resonates with you and you think wow i want to take that and i want to share it with my kindred yeah but there's no author name on it how do you then can you be entirely certain that you are ethically happy about where that comes from mm. ethically sourced prayer you know like ethically free-range chickens it's <laughs> like where does it come from what kind of living conditions has it grown up in is it kind of doing its happy little prayer thing and just wandering around a field all day poland line court sustainable prayer yeah, yeah. poland line court sustainable prayer little green happy fish on the tin mm. so where do we go as as inclusive heathens with the amount of material that is readily available to us now there are even in the academic even if you're looking at the research that is done about the viking age the mm. scandinavian peoples there are authors and researchers in there who are inclusive in their stances and there are authors and researchers who are exclusive yeah and their research will contain that as an implicit bias yeah so even in an academic sense, where do we get our research material from? What material do we use to inform our faith practice? Where does it originate? And do you draw a line between content versus creator? 
happen. But then again, you've got to you've got to then ask yourself the question, especially when we're talking about academic work and research and you know trying to get a bead on sort of what the the the, the older cultures did and thought and 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 so forth. You you have to ask yourself to what extent is my own political and moral viewpoint causing me to exclude swathes of information that may have some scientific validity. Ooh, yeah. You know? I mean, as inclusive heathens, we are implicitly carrying a political stance, Mm. a political inclusive stance. Yeah. We may look at LGBT support, at Black Lives Matter, at vegetarianism. Yeah. We are taking an ethical, social and political stance on where our faith fits into our worldview and how those two mesh together with us in it. Again, on the point that ethical, we we take an ethical stance and what is ethical to us may not be ethical to someone else. It, again, as you said before, right at the start, it's never a sort of good versus bad. It's always a... Yeah, grey versus... Yeah, bad versus bad. less bad. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> Be- meaning that it's it's a very you know we we our ethics will vary depending on our upbringing and our training yeah. uh, you know all sorts of factors. So, if you are leading a kindred, you know you have to take extra or special care about what information you're putting out because people are relying on you to provide information that is helping shape their worldview. Yeah, if you are a, a Geetha, a Gothi, a Yarl of a group of heathens, inclusive heathens. Hmm. How do you then use your own personal ethics? What happens if your kindred accepts something that you and your own personal ethics doesn't and you are still you are duty bound to help them learn? Yeah. How do you reconcile the ethics within yourself? This subject is mahusive. And that's the thing, it goes on and on and on and it stretches out into all sorts of areas. It's not just yeah, As you said so, at the start, it's not it's not just sort of heathenry. It's it's something that people are wrestling with, in all sorts of different areas, and I wish we could sort of sit here and say, "Well, the answer is." Yeah, I mean, it's your kindred. If you lead a kindred, your kindred generally has a democratic, some kind of democratic decision-making process. Normally, so you know, where do you? It might be worth bringing up to them, ethically. Where do they stand on content versus creator? Mm. Where do they want the kindred to stand on content versus creator? Are you going to take the, the group stance that you reclaim words, artwork? Or indeed just claim. <laughs> or claim words, artwork, statuary, jewellery, clothing for yourself from creators that are known to be non-inclusive? Mm. Or... Do you take the group understanding that anything that is potentially exclusionary is not permitted in your kindred? Yeah. And, you know, that discussion is massive. Like I say, how much, to what extent do you recognise that the energy of the person has gone into the thing that they've created? Because a lot of, you know, the the work that um, a Vicky would do yeah, you know a rune, a, a, a rune, a rune magician, for want of a better phrase. You know, somebody who who will sit down and craft uh, an amulet with a 
uh, a bind rune or something like that, and they will they will imbue that thing with the energy of those runes and the energy of their own interpretation of those runes and so on. Mm. <clears throat> they pass that on to someone else. That that uh, that sort of um, that kind of pattern goes with the item. Yeah. You know, again, I'm using the word energy, but it's it's I can't think of a a, a, a more appropriate one. But you know that that energy that that they've they've sort of sent into that thing will go in some in some beliefs. I'm not saying that everybody necessarily will believe the same thing, but you know a lot of people will say, well, that you know that that is an item that's been worked on by this person. It has that person in it. Resonance. A resonance. Yeah. Mm. So it's. So is it the same with somebody who is a blacksmith crafting molniers to wear as mm. jewelry, or the same as somebody who does faith-inspired embroidery and sells, you know, uh, patches, hoodies, t-shirts, embroidered bags, yeah, with symbols on or with their own designs on. Somebody who creates clay or metal or wood statuary. Mm. And where does that, you know, some of the, the ethical calls are remarkably easy, but others, when the ethics really gets going, there's a whole lot of shades of grey. Yeah. As there is in so many things in life. So, yeah, ethics. I'm going to stop talking about ethics now because we've been rambling on for quite a while. Lovely listeners, I really hope your brains haven't dribbled out of your ears. <laughs> Because it's been a bit of a heavy one tonight. It's a big topic. <laughs> it's a big, it's a big, big topic. topic. And it goes into other areas as well. And in the end, we have to remember... That we're all half an onion in a bag? That we're all half an onion in a bag. No. <laughs> in the end, we have to remember that we can't tell you how to heathen. We can't tell you how to heathen. Yeah, so especially in, in ethics. All we can do, and all I think we are really trying to do tonight is is basically just say you know this is something you may want to think about yeah you will obviously you know you will develop your own sense of of ethics you you will develop your own sense of what you can which will develop as your practice goes through as well yeah. and then some of the ethical decisions you make at the beginning of your practice you may want to go back and revise or revisit yeah decide whether you're still comfortable with that decision or not so, lovely listeners, we're going to leave you pondering life, the universe, everything, where the biscuit tin went, and ethics in modern heathenry, content versus creator. We will talk to you all next time for episode 99. 99. Which is a story time. That's getting a bit close to something, isn't it? It is a little bit close to something. <laughs> I can see episode 100 very firmly on the horizon. Yes. Anyway, um, <laughs> if should people want to find you online, how would they do that? They would uh, come and find me on Facebook under the name of Suzanne Martin. You can find me on Twitter at Geetha in Jeans. You can find me on my new blog at Geetha in Jeans. Mm -hmm. Geetha in Jeans dot home dot blog dot home dot blog. It's just started off. There are a few articles up there at the moment. Have a good read through, see what you think. Mm -hmm. You can find us as Frithcast on Facebook at Frithcast Pod. Yep. You can also find us on our Discord server for Frithcast. 
um, you are welcome to throw us a friend request, send us a message, come and talk ethics around the new home for the virtual campfire on our Discord channel. We get together with folks, we drop in every now and again. People have just got a bit of a space to chill out and chat. It's mm -hmm. all good. Lovely listeners, we're going to see you all next time for episode 99, which is our last story time before the big one, episode 100. And next time will be a story about something. Yeah. We'll see you then. See you then. Bye. Bye.